when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will be done away with. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today we'll spend some time considering a topic about which there's a lot of confusion. But before we actually turn to that topic, we'll spend a few minutes making sure that we have a clear grasp of the principles at stake. So we'll turn to St. Thomas Aquinas, the greatest doctor of the church. As usual, there'll be a lot of uh, cutting, pasting, and editorial comments. Okay, let's start. St. Thomas asks whether the ceremonies of the old law, it's a Mosaic law, ceased at the coming of Christ. The answer is yes. They're completely over and done with. Why? Because, as St. Thomas points out, when we're dealing with the worship of God, our external acts must correspond to our internal beliefs. It's an important principle. When we're worshiping God, our external acts must correspond to our internal beliefs. We already know that. After all, it's precisely because we believe that God is really present body, blood, soul, and divinity, right there in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, because we believe that, we express that externally by being quiet and reverent in church, by following the rubrics if we're priests, by making reverent genuflections, dressing up in your Sunday best, and so forth. The important point for our purposes today is that the situation with regards to the interior act of faith is significantly different between the people of the Old Covenant who looked forward with anticipation to the coming of Christ, and our current situation after the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. So since on the one hand, these interior acts of looking forward to Christ's coming, and the other hand, our interior acts of having recognized him having already had come, are not the same, because those are not the same internal acts, the external expressions liturgical ceremonies cannot be the same. St. Thomas explains, quote, The ceremonies of the old law, which foreshadow the new covenant and the joys of heaven, had to cease at the advent of the new covenant, and other ceremonies had to be introduced, which would be in keeping with the state of divine worship for that particular time. Close quote. So the ceremonies of the old law ceased, and other ceremonies took their place. For example, the Sabbath, which is meant to remind the Old Testament faithful about the creation of everything by God in the beginning, the Sabbath was replaced by the Lord's Day, which is rent to mind us, the New Testament faithful, about the resurrection of our Lord and his new creation in spirit and truth. Okay, now St. Thomas asks whether since Christ's passion, the ceremonies of the law can be observed without committing mortal sin. St. Thomas, quote, All religious ceremonies are professions of faith in which the interior worship of God consists. Now, a man can profess his inward faith by deeds as well as by words. And in either profession, if he makes a false declaration, he sins mortally. Parenthetical remark, everybody already knows this. That was the whole issue with the early martyrs who refused to burn a pinch of incense to Caesar the genius of Caesar, because they understood clearly, and so did their pagan persecutors, that by burning that pinch of incense, they were making a profession of faith that Caesar was a god, and at the very same time committing a mortal sin against the true faith, right? Back to St. Thomas. All religious ceremonies are professions of faith. 
in which the interior worship of God consists. Now, a man can profess his inward faith by deeds as well as by words. And in either profession, if he makes a false declaration, he sins mortally. Now, though our faith in Christ is the same as that of the fathers of the Old Testament, yet since they came before Christ, whereas we come after him, the same faith is expressed in different words by us and by them. For example, they used to say, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, using verbs in the future tense. But we refer to that same event by using verbs in the past tense when we say that she conceived and bore. In like manner, the ceremonies of the old law point forward to Christ as having yet to be born and to suffer, but our sacraments signify him as having been born and having suffered. Therefore, just as it would be a mortal sin for anyone professing his faith nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born, which the fathers of the Old Covenant said devoutly and truthfully, so also it would be a mortal sin nowadays to observe those ceremonies which the fathers of old fulfilled with devotion and fidelity. Just as it would be a mortal sin for anyone professing his faith nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born, which the fathers of the Old Covenant said devoutly and truthfully, so also it would be a mortal sin nowadays to observe those ceremonies which the fathers of old fulfilled with devotion and fidelity. Okay, quick review. What have we seen? We've seen that when we're worshiping God, our external acts must correspond to our internal beliefs, which is why the ceremonies of the old law, which looked forward to the coming of Christ, had to pass away after the public promulgation of the gospel after the public announcement that Christ had been born and suffered and died for us. We've seen that all religious ceremonies are outward professions of a man's interior faith. And since a man can profess his faith by both words and deeds, if he makes a false declaration about his faith in either word or in deed, in either case, he sins mortally. In applying this principle of the ceremonies of the old law, we've seen that it would be a mortal sin, objectively speaking, for anyone nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born, and that it would also be a mortal sin, objectively speaking, for anyone nowadays to participate in the religious ceremonies of the Old Covenant. Now that we've seen the basic principles, which are easy enough to understand, we'll turn to today's topic. It's a problem which breaks out every spring and actually involves a lot of very good Catholics who are most likely completely unaware of the issues. The problem is Catholic participation in the Seder, or so-called Catholic or Christianized Seder. Let's get started by making sure we know what a Seder is, and then we'll look at the so-called Catholic or Christianized Seder. So what is a Seder? It's a Jewish religious ceremony. The Encyclopedia Britannica explains that a Seder is, quote, a ritual meal served on the first night of the Passover, commemorating the flight of the Jews from Egypt. Presided over by the head of the family, the Seder follows a liturgy, the Haggadah, that reminds participants of the story of the Exodus. The ritual includes blessings, the pouring of wine, and ritual questions about the meaning of the event asked by the youngest child present. The meal includes unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Close quote. Other sources point out that, quote, the words and rituals of the Seder are a primary vehicle for the transmission of the Jewish faith from one generation to the next. Close quote. Okay, so what is the origin of this Jewish ritual meal that follows a liturgy? The Encyclopedia of Judaism answers that, quote, in the biblical and temple periods, the observance of the Passover was concentrated on the paschal sacrifice. 
Following the destruction of the temple in 70, they don't say A.D., but we do. Following the destruction of the second temple in 70 A.D., the rabbis had to recast the observance of Passover without the paschal sacrifice. The development of the post-temple Seder took place gradually. Close quote, the Encyclopedia of Judaism. Other Jewish sources explain that the basic ritual was established by about the middle of the 3rd century A.D., but that the first mention of the Seder plate is about 1000 A.D., although it may have been part of the ritual by the 5th century A.D. And on the Seder plate, among other things, there's a shank bone of a lamb, or sometimes a chicken bone, as well as a roasted or hard-boiled egg. The shank bone symbolizes the Paschal lamb offered in the sacrifice in the temple, while the egg symbolizes yet another temple sacrifice. One of the cups of wine, the cup for Elijah, is associated with messianic hope of looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and or the messianic age. All right, let's ask ourselves a question. Given that in the first place, the Seder is a Jewish religious rite used to hand on Judaism from one generation to the next, and furthermore, given that certain aspects of the Seder point towards sacrifices in the temple, which were ceremonies of the old law, which prefigured our Lord's once-for-all sacrifice on Calvary, and given that certain aspects of the Seder are associated with the future coming of the Messiah, as if Christ had not yet come, given all that, and given that it would be a mortal sin for a Catholic to participate in ceremonies in which either the words or the deeds point forward to Christ as if he is yet to come, Given all that, can any Catholic possibly participate in such a ritual without, at least objectively speaking, being guilty of a mortal sin? The answer is obvious. Objectively speaking, it is impossible for a Catholic to participate in a Seder without committing a mortal sin. Now let's turn to the so-called Christianized or Catholic Seder and deal with that issue. We'll limit ourselves to two examples. First example, this is taken from a book published by Liturgy Training Publications of the Archdiocese of Chicago. It's entitled, The Passover Celebration, a Haggadah for the Seder. Quote, in large and small groups, Christians have begun to celebrate the Seder meal, dot, dot, dot. We do not come to the Seder as to a history lesson or to a restaging of the Last Supper of Jesus. We come to the Seder just as it is celebrated by Jews. Close quote. Well, if we come to the Seder, just as it's celebrated by the Jews, then objectively speaking, we commit a mortal sin. This is actually a serious sin against the first commandment. It's a serious sin of superstition, which might very well surprise us. It's safe to say that most Catholics don't have a clear idea of exactly what superstition is. It's a specific sin called false worship. Here's a brief explanation from the first commandment section of a moral theology text. Quote, Superstition is false worship of the true God or true worship paid to a false God. One sins by false worship if one worships God by the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament. These are grave sins. Close quote. Second last example. Here's a typical example of, of argument used by people who are in good faith and trying to be good Catholics. This was taken from an announcement written by a priest who, by all counts, is, is probably very well-meaning and excellent priest. Quote, this Seder meal will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover meal Christ ate throughout his life and for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. This is not a communion service, nor is it meant to be. 
We are remembering the Jewish tradition so that we can grow close to the Jewish carpenter who gives his life for our salvation. Close quote. Okay, so the priest tells us that this will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover meal that Christ ate throughout his life and for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. But it will not be a communion service, nor is it meant to be. Before we discuss the morality of the ceremony, let's briefly review some historical facts. First point, one historical fact that needs to be emphasized is that rabbinic Judaism, Judaism as it exists today, is not biblical Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism is not biblical Judaism. The temple is gone. The Jewish priesthood is extinct. Modern Judaism is a different religion than biblical Judaism and did not come into existence until after the destruction of the temple. At the very earliest, rabbinic Judaism didn't even exist to the reign of our second pope, and it may very well not have come into existence to the reign of our third or fourth pope. An Israeli who is converted to Christianity, Israel Shamir, expands on this point. Quote, the brilliant Israeli scholar, Professor Israel Yuval of Hebrew University, proved that the Judaism we know of, rabbinic Judaism, came into existence in the end of the first century after Christ. Christianity actually superseded biblical Judaism and became the faith of millions. Still a small band of men challenged its advent and offered an alternative, rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism produced its own holy books, the Mishnah and the Talmud, as Christianity produced the New Testament. Professor Yuval wrote, The biblical Judaism died, and two religions claimed to be the legitimate heir, Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. Thus, the Judaism we know of is a jealous sister, not a mother faith to Christianity. Its practitioners are not the people who remain faithful to the old religion, as the biblical Judaism, which is sacrifices, Jerusalem temple, ritual purity, tithes and priests disappeared 2,000 years ago. It is a new faith, explicitly made to fight Christianity. Close quote. Biblical Judaism died, and two religions claimed to be the legitimate heir, Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. Christianity actually superseded biblical Judaism and became the faith of millions. Rabbinic Judaism is a jealous sister, not a mother faith to Christianity. Another author makes the same point using other terms. Quote, pre-Christian biblical Judaism, that is to say the religion of the Old Testament, is essentially the same religion as Christianity, the religion of the New Testament. Christianity is the perfection of pre-Christian or biblical Judaism. Biblical Judaism prefigures Christianity. Christianity perfects biblical Judaism. Every bit as much as the Old Testament prefigures the New, and the New perfects the Old. The post-Christian rabbinic Judaism, the religion of the Jewish race after the destruction of the temple, is a new religion distinct from the religion of the Old Testament. Judaism, in other words, underwent a sort of substantial change at that point. Not only was it redefined due to the impossibility of observing the old law, no temple, no sacrifice, no priesthood, but also a new anti-Christian element came into the definition of this new religion. The core of Jewish belief is no longer merely the waiting of a messiah, but also the belief that Jesus of Nazareth is not that Messiah. As a consequence, a modern Jew who thinks that Jesus is the Messiah is not considered a Jew by the Jews themselves. This shows that modern, post-Christian, or rabbinic Judaism and Christianity are not continuous. In short, biblical Judaism is pro-Christianity, whereas modern Judaism is anti-Christian. 
Historical reality is that when someone is present at a Seder, any Seder, he's not going to be remembering the biblical Jewish tradition so that he can grow closer to the Jewish carpenter who gave his life for our salvation. As we've seen, Jewish sources state explicitly that this particular ceremony was developed by the rabbis after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and at the earliest it achieved its current general form centuries after our Lord's death. Centuries after his death. The plain historical fact is that our Lord and apostles didn't have anything to do with the current Seder ceremony as its practice. That's the first point. Second point, what on earth can this priest possibly be talking about when he states that the Seder will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover meal that Christ ate for the last time with the apostles in the upper room, but it is not a communion service, nor is it meant to be. What is he talking about? The Council of Trent, quote, After our Lord had celebrated the ancient feast of the Passover, which, as we've seen, Jewish sources state clearly is not the current Seder, after our Lord had celebrated the ancient feast of the Passover, he instituted a new Passover. Close quote, the Council of Trent. After our Lord instituted the ancient feast of the Passover, he instituted a new Passover. And guess what? That's what we're doing here today. And every day, on all the altars of the world, we're celebrating that new Passover feast. In other words, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the Christianized celebration of the Passover meal that Christ ate for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. This is the Christianized celebration of the Passover meal, and it's the only Christianized celebration of the Passover meal, and it was given to us directly by God himself. All right, remember that if a man makes a false declaration about his faith, by either word or deed, he sins mortally. So which is the correct expression of our faith? The one true faith? The Christianized Seder meal? Or the holy sacrifice of the Mass, as taught by the Council of Trent? Which one is it? Look, the Catholics who get involved in this sort of thing probably have no idea how unbelievably offensive this is to God. We have to make some distinctions here. Obviously, we're talking about objectively offensive. We're not judging the interior disposition of anyone. That's up to God. But we're Catholics. It's not like we're some sort of well-meaning but confused Protestants whose ancestors left the church centuries ago and who, in perfectly good will, are now mistakenly trying to recreate what happened at the Last Supper. It's not like we're Jews who don't know who Christ is yet. We're Catholics. We don't have to make anything up. This is it. Right here and right now. We're Catholics. We can offer the true worship to God, and no one else can. No one else can. We must never forget that. And no amount of whitewash can cover up the reality that, at least objectively speaking, Seder meals, or even Christianized Seder meals, are simply false worship paid to the true God. And that means we can't have anything to do with them. It's a first commandment issue. Let's close with a prayer. O Lord, we give thee thanks for having instituted the new Passover and for inviting poor sinners like us to participate. We profoundly adore thee present the most blessed sacrament of the altar, By this adoration, 
we wish to atone for the many acts of false worship committed by Catholics at Seder meals. Amen. Our Lady of Reparation, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.